Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the podcast that equips you with the latest insights and strategies to advance your career in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Pat McDowell, and thrilled to have you join me for another strategic leadership conversation. Now, we're in episode number 239, and we have the privilege of hearing from a seasoned nonprofit leader, Elizabeth Cushing. Elizabeth is the CEO for a national organization called Playworks, based in Oakland, California. And she shares her remarkable journey through the nonprofit sector, highlighting some of her most significant surprises along the way, as well as valuable lessons she's learned from leading a large-scale organizational growth effort, which I know will help you as you plan the future for your nonprofit. Elizabeth also discusses the three things she wished she had known before embarking on her path to nonprofit leadership. So if you're an emerging leader or just someone looking to better navigate the complexities of growing a nonprofit organization as you build a career, this is the episode for you. Elizabeth's insights and advice will be invaluable. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Elizabeth Cushing. Elizabeth, thank you for joining me on the path. Oh, Pat, and I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for being here, Elizabeth. I'm excited about this conversation. You have had a wonderful leadership journey before you got into nonprofit leadership. And of course, during your tenure uh, with almost two decades at Playworks, you've had wonderful successes and frankly, lessons learned that I know our listeners are going to benefit from. So thank you in advance for sharing. And let's start with that. When you jumped in, to nonprofit leadership. Was there anything in particular that surprised you when you literally made that move? I think I was surprised at how much it was about learning. I knew as a young person that I there was a lot I didn't know. What yeah. I didn't realize was how much of the actual business of nonprofit work was everyone in the organization having to learn how to solve the social problem we were trying to solve or how to go about uh, growing it or how to meet the needs of folks in the communities that there was just a lot more to be discovered than there was that was known already. How long did it take you to get, quote, comfortable oh, gosh. with that learning? <laughs> Do we ever get comfortable? I, Maybe don't, not. I don't know. I mean, I would say it took me quite a while to get comfortable with that being the how of yeah of nonprofit work. And I am very much happier now that I am there. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. And of course, we're going to unpack this in a variety of ways. But I, I imagine a listener thinking, all right, I'm pondering a jump maybe for, from for-profit to nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And that's why I kind of asked the question like, all right, Elizabeth, when you got there, did it, you know, after a year, two years, did, did, do you recall any kind of milestones where you felt like you were kind of hitting your stride? I think in the early roles that I had, after about a year in the role, I could see how I had learned and was contributing to the learning of the teams I was a member of, and that gave me comfort. So it didn't take that long, and I I had to uh, kind of recognize that everyone else was also in that space with me. I wasn't right. the only one in that kind of camaraderie around that really helped me feel settled. Tell us about your journey that led to the work you're doing now at Playworks. What was that kind of path like that got you there? 
Yeah, well, I grew up, um, I grew up in a family where uh, my dad served on the school board in our local community. My mom was a volunteer in several organizations. We went to church and supported our church community. And I think that service to the community was just always part of the way our family operated. And right. so when I went to college and and then finished and was thinking about how I wanted to be in the world, there was kind of this intrinsic drive to do good um, and, and maybe somewhat naively <laughs> right. uh, change the world. Though I look back at my you know twenty five year old self and think that that was kind of nice being a little bit more naive at that, at yes. that point. Yes, yes. And so I actually um, that that impulse drove me to apply to the Coro Fellowship in Public Affairs, which is a full nine-month fellowship program that operates in a few cities in the in the U.S. And I was selected to be part of a cohort for a year in Los Angeles. And that threw me into the deep end of the pool uh, to learn about nonprofits, also public sector organizations, and to be learning on the job, so to speak, like being right. embedded in organizations. And that kind of learning, I, I really soaked up and uh, that set me kind of on my way into working in nonprofits. And my focus is uh, in terms of issue areas has always been uh, women's issues, children's issues, education, kind of the spaces I guess I've occupied, <laughs> right? As a, Good for you. Yeah. As a person and a, and a mom. Um, and so that the connection, my passion for things that I know of the struggles well has been uh really a fuel for for my career yeah i love that and it, it's great to see someone like you and i think you and i both know that there is a a new generation of mm -hmm. folks coming out and mm -hmm. that it's fine if they are naive in some respects right because they want to do good and mm -hmm. indeed it's people like you that have stayed with it uh but but well, tell me elizabeth how did playworks come into your focus and and for those listeners yeah. who don't know what is playworks oh sure so playworks is a national nonprofit organization and we are based on the belief that uh, play can bring out the best in every kid and when we say the word play we mean all kinds of play especially play at recess in elementary schools things like foursquare and tag and kickball and so we partner with schools all over the country to support safe, healthy, inclusive play at those schools by bringing kind of our, our secret sauce, the way we approach play that is super fun and everyone can get in the game. And it turns out that by investing just a little bit in that space in school, we can really transform a child's experience, make them feel included. Uh, they have fun. They build relationships with their classmates and it makes school a place where they feel like they can engage and learn. So uh, I get to work in a mission that is so joyful, uh, ubiquitous in terms of every right. kid being motivated to play. And we have um, amazing results. And so I feel very, very lucky. Uh, I stumbled onto it uh, through uh, some social relationships at my children's school and elementary school and got intrigued. And I'll say there was a a moment when I looked at what I believed Playworks was doing before I really saw it. And there was something that 
just hit a spark inside and and tapped this search I was doing for how I was going to use my talents for good. And I kind of took a leap of faith. I would say that on paper, it the the first job I had here did not look like the job that I should have. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. But I but I leapt over here for the mission. And then I discovered all sorts of other goodness. So uh, I I think maybe one piece of advice that comes out of that is trust your gut yeah. and 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 jump into things knowing that you're going to gain something from that new experience. And in this case, it was incredibly true. I was going to ask you just that. So, I mean, was your initial role with Playworks more a program area role? Oh, what gosh. was the nature of that role and how has hate, it evolved? <laughs> I hate to confess <laughs> this because, <laughs> because it was kind of a an error on the organization's part. <laughs> I was hired to be the first person leading evaluation. And wow. I had no, I had no training in evaluation other than having been a program person in two other roles that had evaluation attached to the program leadership. And uh Playworks was just at a point in if in its early years when everyone kind of rolled up their sleeves and jumped into everything. Right. So I got hired to do this. That would never happen today. And if you met the director of evaluation at Playworks now, who is an expert, you would just, <laughs> she just laughs at the idea that, that I you had that role. title at, right. at one point. Right. Right. But I did jump right into that to kind of learning it because yes. it was the moment when theories of change became very uh, present in the philanthropic world and nonprofits needed to document their theory of change. And so knowing nothing, about anything, I gathered the program folks at Playworks together and said, hey, we're going to put on paper what you know in your head and your heart about how play works. And the opportunity for them to be able to engage, speak their truth, share their expertise was so invigorating for them that they made my first piece of work look so fantastic because I just reflected what they were doing. And uh, and we all learned what a theory of change was in that process, and um, and then I started moving around the organization into fundraising roles and into strategic roles, eventually becoming an architect of our national scaling strategy. Well, good segue to the remarkable scaling. And so I've got Mm -hmm. several questions there. As I look at my notes, Elizabeth, what you started with 61 schools in partnership mode. Mm -hmm. And that was 2004, nearly 2000 in 2020. So first of all, are my numbers correct? And Mm -hmm. all right, well, then how'd you do that? (laughs) When I, yes, when I arrived in 2004, uh, Playworks was uh, we were actually called Sports for Kids at the time, so okay. we have since changed our name, and I learned a lot about branding through that process. <laughs> sure. uh, but we were serving schools directly, so we had partnerships where we put one staff person in a school. All of those sixty schools were in the Bay Area, and the program was quite well developed. I take zero credit for the program itself and sure. um, how it meets schools' needs. And uh, at the time, the growth plan was uh, limited to the Bay Area. It was largely word of mouth, which is fine, except that the 
the founder, Jill Violet, had recently been named an Ashoka Fellow, which is a fellowship for social entrepreneurs. And that had caught the attention of Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, who called us, which oh, wow. is quite rare. And I knew at the fundraising experience I'd had up till this point, I knew how rare that was. <laughs> and when right. they called and asked to talk to us about how might we share our approach beyond the Bay Area, I raised my hand and jumped up and down and said, I can help. I can help. <laughs> I know how to fundraise from foundations and this is so exciting. Wow. But and so perhaps there's a lesson there in volunteering for things beyond your job description <laughs> because it, it was beyond my job description. Um, and so I was part of securing a $4 million grant from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation to grow. Yes. And for me, the opportunity to learn by doing was incredible. And I believed that our approach could work anywhere. And that set us on literally a 12-year journey of adding new cities, placing staff in new places, moving staff around the country, making one million mistakes. Right. As we tried to but, grow. Yeah. And, you know, I, I would credit the strength of our program and its impact for surviving all of the mistakes related to growing. Um, we we had to make friends in new places. The cultures of schools and school districts across the country are not the same as California, where I'm sitting right now. Right, right. Uh, we, ha we learned by kind of upsetting people and then apologizing and then trying a new way. Um, and I, I don't, I knew, I didn't know what we're, what we were doing before we started it. And so we brought that learner's mindset every step of the way and um, were willing to change what we were doing in response to the feedback we were getting or the results we were having. And I think that's mostly how we did it. It's, it's remarkable. And I guess, yeah, you kind of allude to some of the challenges, I mean, just scaling in general, but mm -hmm. obviously you created a model that was able to replicate in these other communities. W was the challenge that some communities didn't embrace the program exactly as they should, or what were those things you were running into mm -hmm. as you kind of expanded in different directions? Yeah, I think one of the challenges exists everywhere, which is that play is not readily considered a powerful lever for right. improving children's experience at school. We've proven that it is, uh, and that would explain the enormous demand we have now today from schools and districts for our help. But all along the way, folks just don't think of play that way naturally. Another barrier is the various ways uh, that school districts and schools are constrained in finances, in uh, how much they can change the way they use their schedules during the day. And we had to adapt to those differences across right. geography and across districts. I would say uh, another barrier in, in some ways is community belief about whether every kid deserves to play or not versus wow. have their nose in a book. And I'm, yeah, I'm, right. a, I'm an avid reader myself. I, I support literacy and play is important too. 
And so sometimes we were working around cultures. Uh, I think we figured out here in the Bay Area that finding folks who are early adopters of a new idea, champions for your mission, and demonstrating what's possible through with and through them is the best strategy for inspiring others. We do very little telling principals and districts what they should do, and a lot of showing them what has worked in other places. Uh, and that's how we grew, really. We would start with a group of four to six schools in a new place in Baltimore, Maryland, the first place we grew. And we'd have very good outcomes with them, great experience in the first year. And the spring of that first year, we'd invite principals across their district to come see it. Because what we do is much more easily understood by seeing it and hearing from the folks who are benefiting directly. And so I think our growth strategy of uh, demonstration and peer advocacy uh, was really successful. It's what we continue to do to this day. It literally is the model, in essence, uh, independent affiliates? Uh, or, or is there a national network or oh. is it train the trainer, so to yeah. speak? Or how, yeah. does that, well, how does it work, literally? So first of all, we are a single 501c3 organization okay. with yep. employees across the country. And we made that choice deliberately, having researched the more federated model that you see with the YMCA's, Boys and Girls Clubs, et cetera, where they're separate 501c3s. And right. we decided that the approach we bring to play, the way we play is so critical to our success and nuanced. You know, it's humans delivering a particular way of playing, which is inclusive and fun, um, that, that we needed to control that. And so that's why we stayed a single 501c3. Nice. So we have these teams across the country, 15 metropolitan areas now. And while our origin was with one model, you know, a Playworks coach in one school full-time all year long. We still do that, but that model serves the smallest number of schools. We've since expanded the ways in which we support schools, all using the same approach to play and the same foundational building blocks of how you establish the conditions for safe and healthy play to happen. The ways we work with schools and districts are uh, very broad now. So we have a professional development, a training business that supports schools and districts that is much, much bigger now, um, wow. where we're basically teaching them to use Playworks to, to make it happen in their schools. We have, you know, curricular supports, we have evaluation and assessments, um, and we form networks of schools within districts and across districts to support each other in that work. Um, and now we've even expanded to partnerships with some of those federated organizations, the Boys and Girls Clubs and Campfire. Nice. Where we are collaboratively giving away our secret sauce to those organizations and they are running recess in their local schools. This level of collaboration is new. Um, it's not always common in the sector to give away the thing that differentiates you. No, from you're right. Other orgs. 
um, this is my new crusade <laughs> in the last uh, four years or so, um, because I believe every kid deserves to play and Playworks is not uh, the, the large scale organization that's going to deliver that directly ourselves. So we are equipping and empowering others to do it. And I think we actually could get to every kid eventually through this collaborative model. Yeah, and it's a the generous spirit, frankly, that you're bringing to your yeah. organization. It because there are organizations you and I both know that probably would keep it in house and and take credit for it, right? Right. And, and they want to <laughs> assure right. their constituents that they are doing it and getting credit. But so it, yes. was it four years ago? Was there a an aha mm -hmm. moment? Not that you haven't always been generous, but you mentioned yeah. four years. What yeah? What changed that allowed you to start the crusade? Well, I can. Yeah, it's a good story, actually. Um, and there's even uh, there's a journal article that references this. Um, so we were grantees of the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Family Foundation, which was in about to uh, spend down, meaning they were going to spend all of the money they had set aside for the foundation and end their grant making. Right, right. And in, they had a lot of money. So in order to do that, they offered an opportunity for 13 national organizations to receive large grants and to join a cohort that met in person twice a year for four years to share best practices, to nice. learn together, uh, to try to talk about the needs of America's children together, uh, which was very generous of the foundation to make this possible. So I found myself in rooms with the leaders of Boys and Girls Clubs of America, YMCA, 4-H, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, Campfire, and and uh, more. <laughs> and <laughs> relationships that, that started yes. obviously there, right? And yes, continued in some them. cases, yeah. So we're in person for three days at a time, eight times. And there wow. were there were connections made uh in the bar in the evening <laughs> right, at, right at lunch formal and, we, and informal informal and informal and we really got to know each other well and i came to trust our shared the alignment of our missions which our missions are are quite aligned across those organizations and that's where this idea started to bubble up um with jill violet our founder and me around you know these organizations are largely in the neighborhoods where schools are that Playworks may never get to, but yeah. those kids deserve to play. And these yes. organizations play in their programming anyway. And so that's where we started to talk about this idea. And I'll tell you, the first couple of conversations I had with leaders at very high levels, they were um, suspicious. <laughs> I, wanted, I was going to ask you about that. Right. Yeah, they were suspicious of our purpose. Uh, yeah. What's the catch? Yeah. And I said, look, I want my mission. Every kid in America gets to play every day the Playworks way, which is inclusive and fun and safe. That is my mission. I, I'm trying to meet my mission. I just don't have to meet it with Playworks running it. And I'm wondering what priorities you might have that would be served by a partnership. And it turns out there are priorities those other organizations have, things like they would like to inspire more kids from the local schools to come to their after-school programs. Indeed. Yep. They would like to improve the quality of their recreational and play-based programming and 
we're the best in the business. Um, maybe they would like to expand their afternoon part-time jobs to full-time jobs with school day programming. So there were a lot of reasons uh, that would serve them as well. But to get over that suspicion of, hey, why would you give away everything you know how to do? And my, my answer is there are 40,000 elementary schools. So I think there are plenty for us to continue to serve and you to join in. Um, and now this uh, this model, which we call tag team, is looks like it's going to blow up in a positive way. So that's awesome, and yeah, yeah, there are plenty of kids to go around, aren't there, to benefit there from from your program? And there are, uh, yeah, you need it. And, and I, I would guess some of the suspicion might come from funding. I see mm -hmm. often collaborations that have potential. You know, there's a bit of that. Well, you know, yes. I got to raise the money. I have to raise, but so maybe speak to the funding model. The mm -hmm. national as well as local fundraising efforts yes yes so um i think the the first thing i should share is that playworks services we charge schools and districts for a portion of the cost okay. so we already have an earned income stream from the our partners and schools who benefit and right. it is about 70 percent of our $36 million budget. So it is a big part of what we do. And uh, the ability to earn income through schools is a pretty unique one. Um, and it provides an engine for growth. So when we went to these other community-based organizations and said, we'd like to do this in partnership with you, and you will earn the income from the school that we would have if we were the school's partner. Gotcha. So we we yep. brought we brought an earned income stream to them and that has been a very big inspiration for the partners who who've joined in with us. In terms of fundraising, I had a an aspiration to fundraise together with those partners in the beginning, but then it turned out that I realized we needed to raise some seed money to get going ourselves so we could demonstrate the power of the collaboration. And that's what we did. We raised money from Allstate Foundation and a family foundation in Southern California and kicked it off uh, four years ago. And that is how we learned and made mistakes and refined. Uh, and now the uh, any fundraising that we're doing around this model is done locally, either by Playworks or by Playworks in partnership with the community-based organizations that want to be part of it. So um, I think it was a good, it's a good example of how sometimes you got to get it going yourself, just like any for-profit company. Yeah, you, you, you get it off the ground. Proof of concept, right? Yeah. And bit, then, right. yeah, we, we've proved it. We've done some evaluation and and now, uh, now we can kind of go retail. That's awesome. And yeah, of course, I, we're going to get to your leadership lessons in a minute, but I can't help but ask. There's somebody listening right now thinking, wow, I want Playworks in my community. So oh, do I need yeah. to have my school system behind me? What, what literally would a community need to come to you to perhaps start one? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. Um, no, you don't, you don't need buy-in yet. <laughs> you can, you can go to <laughs> playworks.org. And uh, there are links there to send us an email that you're interested in, in what we're doing. And we can have a conversation with you. If you're a, if you're a parent and you want support for play in your school, reach out and then we'll talk about how might we 
get some um, introductory materials to your principal or your teacher. Sometimes it comes right through teachers who go to their principal and, and then we find a way to work together. Uh, if you're a community-based organization, you know, you're in a, a boys and girls club or a Y or a local after-school program exactly. and you're curious about this, go to the website, send us a note. We'll, we'll get the right person talking to you. Um, or if you're, you know, if you're a funder or a corporation who you care about, whether your employees, kids are getting to play, same, same answer. Uh, we, we end up in communities through a lot of different uh, channels and uh, we are we're happy to work with anyone who would like to make sure more play is happening. Yeah, love that. And again, the spirit of collaboration is evident. And and because <sighs> uh, I'm thinking of a lot of friends I have that are leading, you know, youth serving organizations that mm-hmm. I just could could only imagine the programmatic possibilities. And that sounds like you and your team. Although I have to be sensitive to you and your team that you. How do you keep up with all this, Elizabeth? <laughs> right. It's right. Everybody, you you got <laughs> limited amount of time. Yeah, I was just on a uh, I was just on a call with one of our leaders of the tag team um, partnership, and I'm out talking about it a lot. And I said, "Hey, um, I think you got to be prepared for a lot more interest over the next uh, six to nine months because I'm talking about it publicly more <laughs> exactly. and more." And uh, I think we have figured out how to um, how to do this as uh, efficiently as possible. And we can sequence folks getting started at different times in the year. It doesn't have to be a school year start. There, there are ways that uh, being a single 501c3 enables us to pull staff from Portland, Oregon, who run down to Arizona for a couple of days to help if the, right, right. if the deluge of demand is so high. So we have ways of um, managing the flow of need. Um, and so I, I think we can, I think we can do it. And so you said you're in like 15 markets or communities we have 15, now? We have 15 markets where we run programs direct with staff who okay. live in those communities and work in schools in those communities. Our training service is available anywhere in the U S including Alaska and Hawaii. We send trainers into communities who deliver our services and then stay in touch with those schools, providing coaching, uh, even coming back for refresher training. So we're we're running programs, including um, Tag Team, the partnership one. We currently have a our pilot partnerships with Campfire are in Kansas City and Anchorage, Alaska. Neither neither state has any PlayWorks employee in it full time, but we are able to come in and work with the campfire and the schools and and get it off the ground. So literally any of your listeners anywhere could, could reach out and we would find a way to support them. Yeah, that's wonderful. And again, delighted to lift this up in multiple Mm -hmm. ways, but certainly the show notes for this episode are going to give our listeners a direct line (laughs) to Elizabeth and her team. Um, And I now though want to transition to uh, you're a wonderful example, Elizabeth of lifelong learning, literally, and you've applied Mm -hmm. it and now you're scaling it and sharing it. Um, But you've learned some great lessons and and I'm excited for our listeners to learn. And I'm going to quote you on a couple of (laughs) phrases you've used that I think represent these three particular headlines that maybe you would share as advice and the first one is this leadership is not just telling others what to do. So what do you mean by that? Or what lesson did you learn that Mm -hmm. reflects that headline? Mm -hmm. I think I grew up 
believing that leaders know what needs to happen and know what actions need to be taken and they tell their teams to do them. Um, right, right. And I'm sure, I'm sure that um, I'm a, I'm a white woman. I'm sure that there's some legacy of white supremacy in that statement. Yeah, yeah. I, I've learned, uh, I've learned in my equity journey, how that might be the case. Um, and I, but I did find that original belief to be frightening because I didn't, you know, at age 22, 25, think I knew at all right. what needed to be done. And, and over time and getting to know other leaders too, along the way, it's become readily apparent that leadership is not about knowing. It is about uh, accepting the ambiguity of every new situation and enabling the folks you are with, whether they're your 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 team, your employees, your collaboration partners, to to wrestle with what needs to be done, to helping draw out the best in every player in the room. Yeah, well put. Um, that, that that was my that's what leadership is, and I had to I had to learn how to not be focused on my own contribution to the conversation, but rather to the potential for others to make their contributions, because that's how we were going to get to the quote unquote best answer in the moment. Well put, and probably a wonderful segue to your second headline. Mm -hmm. um, it sounds like a listen first leadership and a collaborative leadership style that you have certainly embodied. And mm -hmm. I'm guessing that has created a culture uh, and again, that is literally your headline, the importance of culture. But we, we toss that term or that phrase around a lot, Elizabeth. What what do you mean by it? And, and how do we get there in yeah. terms of creating culture? I, yeah, I really didn't understand how much culture influenced what happens, um, you know, rationally or cognitively in a, in a space. And I came came here to Playworks and play is very present in the everyday culture of playworks and i i mean both that we play games with each other <laughs> literally in, right literally we play games we start our meetings with check-in questions the purpose of which is just to remind us all that we're human right so this nice. time of year a popular check-in question is what was your favorite halloween costume growing up <laughs> right. and we learn some some hilarious things about each other we're reminded that we're human that the work is just only part of how we interact, right? Um, but play also is an adaptive behavior. You you make a mistake and you get out and then you try again and you try something else. And that cultural comfort with making mistakes, with trying, with experimenting, with um, learning from mistakes was very present in the culture when I arrived. And I realized after being here for a bit that that helps Playworks quickly solve problems or make new paths for innovation and growth because we're willing to rapidly iterate. Yes. And it's not from an intellectual space. It's it's from a playful mindset, honestly. Um, and so while I, di I didn't create the culture originally, the founder did, I see myself as a culture protector. Yeah. And one of the ways as a leader that I do that is by showing up in spaces 
as a human, first of all, and as someone who says, you know, I really made a mistake with this hiring process. And I I hate that I made that mistake. It's cost right. us, you know, time and and whatever, but I am trying to learn from it. So hey, if any of you on the team right now have reflective thoughts about that mistake, can you share them? Cause I'm ready to like do it differently next time. Um and this is not I, you, the rookie leader. This is no, you as a yeah, you know, a more veteran leader. Yeah, is like a right? year ago I did this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and so I think that culture of making mistakes is is good. You know, we have a we have a game where when you get out, you throw your hands in the air and you say, ta-da. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, I'm celebrating having yes. that now. Yes. Um, and that I continue. I continue to do because it is that it is that culture that is really really key to our success and I I want to show people that it it's not just for the kids it's it's yes. for us older grown-ups too. Yeah and again you and I both know I'm sure that there's some leaders though frankly that have too much ego yeah. to, to admit that vulnerability right and that's what you're combating I guess. Yeah. Yep. Uh that I had to kind of learn too, you know. The right. hard way, but yeah, e leave your leave your ego at the door if you really want to change the world. Indeed. Well, let me finish with the third of your wonderful three headlines, uh, and you talk about being more attuned to long term outcomes versus short term organizational success. Mm -hmm. And I, mm -hmm. I think you've alluded to this maybe in some of your previous comments, but talk about what is the difference between the kind of focus on the long term outcomes versus short-term organizational success? At um, at some point around 2015, um, we, were, we were growing still, but we were struggling with something I mentioned earlier around the resistance to play being um, embraced fully by everyone, right. <laughs> which, which is our goal. And we started a conversation internally about what is more important. Is it more important to continue this fight, if you want to characterize it that way, um, as play works, the organization trying to serve, support as many kids and schools as we can? Or is it more important to think about how might we make it possible for more kids to get to play without Playworks being the only organization or group of people actually delivering the play. Right. Which meant potentially not getting the credit for it. And yep. it took, it took a little bit of, you know, working through that to understand the upsides and downsides of those two paths. And while I don't, I don't really like to characterize things as binary like that. We were operating in the way that many of us in the nonprofit sector operate, which is how am I going to make my mission the way my organization fulfills it bigger, better, further? That's right. And to shift away from the organization lens to the outcome lens, which is every kid in America gets to play, is a bit of a brain teaser. And and we really talked and thought a lot about it. And my personal energy is so much more motivated 
uh, to get more kids to get to play than it is to grow the biggest playworks. And that making that shift, and we had to engage our board in that conversation and staff in that conversation. And, and we were talking in very abstract ways, which made it hard for everyone, ultimately influenced and continues to influence the decisions we make because we're no longer trying to ensure our organization gets as big as possible. We're trying to make sure that play and the way we uh, espouse that play is happening in as many places as possible. And that was, you know, setting aside ego for sure. Um, and it's it's hard because human beings come together to work for something and they, they want to see the outcome of their labor. And I do too. Uh, and I think we're here to do something for more kids than we could do directly ourselves. ourselves. And so, yep. Yeah, it is um, probably one of the most satisfying moments of my career happened um, two years ago. Is that right? A year, uh, two years ago. No, sorry, a year ago. When we pulled together our staff for the first time since the pandemic for summer recess and we were talking about you know how we survived the pandemic and how many kids were getting to play now because we were still here and we were growing and i invited the staff to imagine uh the 50 year anniversary of playworks interesting um, out in um out in the future 2046 and what if what would the what would the story be if every kid in america was getting to play yes and the energy and the creativity and the stars in people's eyes when they thought about actually achieving our mission, whether it's us or someone else playing with kids, was so energizing. And I really had a moment of, oh, this is possible. Yes. And I'll be super old by then and won't be the person doing it, <laughs> but it's actually possible. And that has been fueling me ever since. That, that's just wonderful. Yeah. And what a wonderful exercise. I think I'm imagining, you know, any listener could ponder a similar exercise for their organs because it, it naturally breaks you out of the restrictive thinking that I think many organizations, you know, we're looking at the metrics that got us here. Mm -hmm. Right. So we're just trying to grow the numbers that our plan led to. Mm -hmm. But you're you're basically saying, no, 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 let's don't necessarily limit to the silo in which we operate. And, and is that, yeah. I guess, Chain your strategic planning now is not just playworks, right? Kids serve, but you're just how many kids can we help serve overall? Yes, yeah. So we are in the midst of a strategic planning process for 2028, and all of what I've been speaking about is in that plan. We're going to set ourselves some benchmarks for getting beyond ourselves. It's wonderful. Uh, just you. like everything else you have shared, uh, <laughs> I, it's uh, more, even more than I expected. And I was <laughs> optimistic that you had wonderful words of wisdom. Indeed, you have. Any final advice, Elizabeth, now that, again, your journey is a great example of lifelong learning of what leadership really is, the importance yeah. of culture. Uh, but any final thoughts uh, for someone listening right now? I I would say, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, I mean, I'm 57 now. I've been doing this a long time is be take take seriously you know the mission that you attach yourself to and its importance don't take yourself too seriously you will limit your ability to learn if you are are seriously focused on proving 
you know, what you know. You will limit your ability to have authentic relationships with your colleagues and collaborative partners if you're too seriously focused on showing your value to them. Um, and you probably will miss some creative impulses that you might have if you're just too seriously focused on being right um, instead of being curious. And I, I feel like I lucked into being in a playful organization which pushed me to be to take myself less seriously, probably more than I could have done it on my own. Um, but I wish someone would have told me this a long time ago. I might have, <laughs> I, I might have approached those earlier jobs with a little bit of a, a lighter heart and and um, you know more energy for um, discovering what was there. Well, wonderful advice. And yes. while yes, uh, we may have wished to have it sooner, you have paid it forward. So there is someone <laughs> listening that is early in their leadership journey. And indeed, I know they will benefit from this. So Elizabeth, thank you again. I have okay. one parting gift if I could seek from you. Sure. And of course, you knew this was coming, but maybe a book that has been meaningful to you that you'd recommend to our listeners. Yeah. So I'm going to be very um, selfishly promoting of play itself. Sure. Uh, our founder, Jill Violet, wrote a book uh, just a couple of years ago called Why Play Works. Uh, it's very short. What I love about this book is it tells stories about human, uh, the human experience of playing and the various benefits of it that go way beyond, um, way beyond the physical activity benefit or the joy uh, to real human relationships. And it's a fun read. So uh, Why Play Works by Jill Violet is the book I'm going to recommend today. Delighted to lift that up. It, it is absolutely appropriate for the conversation <laughs> and the leadership journey that you have been on. And so uh, excited to put that in the show notes. Of course, I'm going to encourage our listeners to check it out. And, and speaking of the show notes, where can mm -hmm. people go to find out more about you and the great work you're doing? Sure. So playworks.org, uh, you can find out about our organization. Uh, I am on LinkedIn and happy to talk to anyone about uh, my experience or the experience of our organization. So um, reach out. Perfect. We will link it up, encourage all of our listeners to check it out and, and connect with you as they are able. And for all of this, Elizabeth, thank you once more for joining me on the path. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for letting me reminisce a little bit. <laughs> well, I hope you found this conversation with Elizabeth as enlightening as I did, because surely her journey through the nonprofit sector and her experiences, especially leading large scale organizational growth, are things that will help you as you build your organization and design your career plan. Now, for more information about Elizabeth and Playworks, as well as additional resources she and I discuss, make sure you check out the show notes for this episode. It is number 239. Just go to the podcast page at PattonMcDowell.com, and there you will find a wealth of information to help you on your path to nonprofit leadership. Now, of course, if you found this episode inspiring, please share it with somebody else who's also on the path. And they can benefit as well from Elizabeth's experience and her wisdom. 
Now, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Just go to PattonMcDowell.com, navigate to the podcast page, and click on the follow button. That will ensure you don't miss any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday. Of course, while you're on that webpage, check out the episodes button also there at the top of the page. You can browse through thumbnails of our most popular episodes or search by topic that is of particular interest to you. Thanks again for all you're doing to support the nonprofit sector and keep up the great work for causes that matter most to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have an amazing week. I'll see you next time on The Path.